Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning, I want to take a look at just a few verses, uh, really a few phrases, words in verses number 13 and 14. Verse number 13 begins with these two words, which is the words, hold fast, hold fast. In verse number 14, you see the word keep, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at this idea of holding on and keeping, of holding on and keeping. In many sports, one of the basics of winning is don't lose the ball, right? If you have the ball, don't give the ball to the other team. You hold on to the ball. You play basketball. They have this word, turnovers. It means you gave up the ball to the other team. You don't want to do that. Same is true in soccer. Same is true in in football and, and basketball. All of these sports. What you want to do, you want to hold on to the ball. Don't give the ball to the other team. And if they have the ball, your goal is to get the ball back. And so here is this idea of sports. If you want to win, you hold on to the ball. Now, if we're going to take that principle and apply it to this passage, the question is, all right, we know, what we're, we know that we're supposed to hold on. The question is, what are we supposed to be holding on to? All right, I know this principle. Whatever it is that you give to me, I'm supposed to hold on and don't let it go. Don't give it up. But what exactly am I supposed to be holding on to? Because if we are going to succeed and have victory in perilous times, we must hold on and keep that which God has given to us. So this morning, I want to try to answer the question of what are we supposed to hold on to if we are going to have victory in perilous times? Once again, chapter 3 talks about perilous times shall come, but God has given us tools to have victory and to overcome those times. So this morning, I want to see three things that we should keep, three keepers that will support faithfulness in service and help us in perilous times. So first I see we should keep teaching that is sound. Keep teaching that is sound. Verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words. Sound words, not speculative words, not questionable words, not my opinion. We should hold on to sound words that are faithfully communicated to us. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. I want you to contrast that with what the Bible says in Acts chapter number 17 about those that were in Athens. It says, Therefore all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And that seems to be the trend. Everybody wants to come up with something new, some new ideas, some new philosophy, some new teaching. But God warns us we should hold on to sound words. Amen? Amen. Holding on to sound words. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 3 says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth 
and shall be turned unto fables. You ever wonder how some people can believe something that seems so far off, so obviously not true, that you wonder, how is it possible that somebody could believe that? I mean, isn't it so obvious in the Bible that that's not what God is teaching? And yet you find people believing things like that. How is it possible that people get there? People that come from a church like ours, where we encourage you, study the scriptures, show yourself approved unto God, get in there. I want to give you the Bible when I preach. I want you to open your Bible, bring your Bible with you when you come to church, and I want you to inspect the words of God as we go through them together. I want you to know, are these sound words? Is this just my opinion? Is this just something that I'm saying? Or is it sound words? And here are some people who have some far-off beliefs and they've been turned away from the truth. How could they possibly have gotten there? Well, the Bible makes it clear. They couldn't endure sound doctrine. They had the sound doctrine and they decided, well, I want something new. I want something different. And so we need to be very, very careful. You wonder why the Bible is so big? This is a big book, amen? amen? Right? This is a lot of words. You ever open up your Bible and think, wow, these pages are thin. Wow, this font is small. Wow, this book is thick. There's a lot of words in here. You know why? Because God wants to give us sound words. When you look through the Bible and you see the names and you hear the stories and you read about people in the past, you see this message coming time and time and time again, assuring us, hey, these are some sound words. When you begin with individuals like Adam and Eve, what's the story? The story is they were in a perfect situation and yet they chose to go their own way. They chose to sin. Then you look at somebody like Moses. Moses, wow, what an individual. Raised up in such a unique, wonderful circumstance. And yet, he was a sinner as well. You could go to Abraham. He was a sinner. Noah, he was a sinner. David, he was a sinner. Peter, James, and John, Paul, all of these individuals, all of them were sinners. What is the message of the Bible? We are all sinners. Amen? Amen. That's sound doctrine. Amen? I, there's no question about that. I mean, you just look all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. You pick a book, pick any book in the Bible, and we can find, yeah, we're sinners, right? That's sound doctrine, amen? Uh, that's something that you could really pin down and say, I'm 100% confident of this. I'm 100% sure that the Bible makes it very clear that we are all sinners. That's sound doctrine. Another sound doctrine, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen? Amen? Oh, you see that message all over the Bible, not just in the New Testament. I mean, every book in the New Testament, abundantly obvious. But you go to the Old Testament as well. A number of passages. You could go to Genesis. You could go to Psalms. You could go to Isaiah. And you could go to all of these other books of the Bible. You could go to uh, where, they, where God gives the instruction for the tabernacle. And you see pictures of Jesus all throughout the Old and New Testament. It's abundantly clear that we are all sinners and Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen? I mean, all of that is abundantly clear. Those are things that we would call sound doctrine. So I, I want to give you just a few practical things this morning. How do you know whether something is sound or not? Right? How do you know? 
I mean, obviously, these things are obvious. We are all sinners. We all know that. Everybody knows that. Even people who are not Christians, they know that. All right, we know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. How do we know what is sad? I want to give you just a few practical principles. First of all, one way is to see it in many different places. One of the reasons why we are so sure that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is we see it in so many different places. That's one of my roles as a pastor, as a teacher, when I get up here and I give you the word of God, is to often give you not just, here's what the Bible says in the passage that we're looking at, but let me also show you another passage that shows the exact same teaching. Let me show you another passage when it talks about all have sinned. We could go to Isaiah and we could say all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all have gone astray. We could go to the book of Romans. We could go to the book of John. I mean, you could pick any book of the Bible and it makes it abundantly clear, hey, we're sinners. Amen? We are sinners. So that's one of the things that I try to do when I preach, is to include other verses so that you know it's not just this one verse that's, you know, kind of pulled out of context, but you could see it's here in the Bible, it's here in the Bible, it's here in the Bible. That's one of the important aspects of studying the scriptures. When people say, or when the Bible says that we ought to study the Bible, and you wonder, all right, what does that actually mean? It means, in part, that we need to be able to pull passages together in terms of, ah, I remember this verse over here, and I remember this verse over here. Let me go look at this verse over here that I vaguely remember. Or maybe you don't even remember exactly where it is, but you remember some of the words, all right? One of the advantages of living in the day that we live in with technology is you can just search it up. You just open up a free Bible app, you can download it onto your phone, you can put it onto your computer, you can, there's even websites, you just type in some of the words and it'll direct you to that verse and you can look at the whole passage. It's a great help and that will help you to make sure that you're staying in sound doctrine and in sound words. Don't just pull out a doctrine from one verse over here and then, and then maybe there's another verse, but it's not exactly clear. And those are the only two verses that we got. And we're going to build this whole doctrine upon these two verses. I, I don't think so. All right. Now, of course, the Bible is the Bible. But in terms of sound words, we want to make sure, all right, if we're going to build our lives, our, our eternity in terms of salvation and our church, we want to make sure it's found in many different places. So that will keep you in safety. Not just to read a passage and then maybe you misread it. I've done that before. You know, one of the examples is uh, on Sunday nights, I'm reading through the book of Romans. And I read through the book of Romans once a week when I was in Bible college in the Romans class, 15 weeks in a row. And I'm still reading things. I was like, oh, you know what? I read that wrong. I read that differently. And as I was studying it out, I realized, oh, I read it differently from how God actually wrote it. And as I was studying it, I realized, oh, you know what? What I thought is not actually the case. And that's definitely possible. That's why you want many different passages of scripture to support the belief that you're going to build upon. So that's one helpful tool. Another helpful tool is to make sure that you are using context, all right? When you take a look at a verse, don't just look at one verse, take a look at the context. Take a look at the book as a whole. Take a look at the chapter as a whole. Take a look at that whole paragraph together and see. Just like when you're in English class, what do you do? 
You have a paragraph, you want to find the subject. What's the main topic of this paragraph? And God's word is not that much different. You'll have a paragraph with a main idea. Read the Bible in context, okay? Read the Bible in context. So uh, if you've only been in our church or in churches like ours, uh, you'll assume that everybody preaches the way that I do, which is I preach what is called expository preaching which is I take a passage, just like we're doing today, first, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 to 18, I read the whole passage, and we just go word by word, line by line, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, all the way through down to the end, taking the entire context of what God wrote, how God wrote it, reading it, studying it, and learning from it. Because if you just take a phrase, you can easily pull something out that may not really be there because you're missing context, all right? One extreme example is in the Old Testament, did you know that the Bible says, it says it in your Bible, there is no God. Did you know that? It says it in the Bible. You can look it up if you wanted to, or you can take my word for it. It's there. Now, if you were to just take those four words, you would say, oh, the Bible says there is no God. Well, if you read the context, the preceding words are, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, okay? Now, of course, nobody would parse the Bible like that, but it, you could easily see how maybe if you only took a section of a sentence, and if you read the Bible, you'll see sometimes a verse is not like one sentence, it's just part of a sentence, and you'll have like 10 verses that are like one sentence together. You know, that whole thing is really one thought all put together in one. And one way for you to make sure that you're holding on to sound words is when somebody says, hey, did you know that the Bible says this here? What I often do is I, I say, okay, let's take a look at it. Amen. Show me where it is. And they tell me where it is, or maybe they don't know. Often they don't know. But if they do know, then I say, all right, let's take a look at it. And if we're in, you know, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, you know, verse number 16, I'll say, all right, I see the verse. All right, let's start at the beginning of the chapter. Let's look at verse number 1. We're going to start at verse number 1 and read all the way down through to verse number 16. You say, that's a lot of work. Well, we got to make sure that we take things in context. In context. Right? Sometimes I've gotten a little bit confused when I'm you know, texting people, sometimes my wife or whatever. Sometimes as you're texting, you know, you're texting something and then you're waiting for the response and then they respond and then they're going to text another thing, but then I text back in before and the order gets out of you know, whack and it's a little bit confusing. I've gotten a little bit confused that way, and maybe you've gotten a little bit confused that way too. If you have the context shifted, and suddenly you're like, wait, 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 hold on a second, what are you talking about? It can be confusing, and you can misunderstand what somebody is saying. So let's make sure we take things in context. Let's take the verses that maybe somebody's saying and say, hey, did you know that the Bible says this? Hey, did you know that the Bible's teaching something? And you're like, hey, that's not, that's not what I heard. That's not what I remember when I read the Bible and I study these passages. Let's take a look at the context. Let's take a look at how many times do you see this doctrine taught throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Another way that you can make sure that you hold on to sound words is be willing to ask questions and learn in your local church. That's one of the reasons why you have a local church. People wonder, why can't I just watch a service online? 
Now, there are probably some people watching online now for different reasons and different circumstances. We understand, you know, those, those kind of situations. But why do we meet in person after this service? We have a life connection class. Why do we have a life connection class where maybe you get to interact with a teacher and some of your peers and other church members? Why do we have those opportunities so that you can ask questions and learn and be able to think things through and be able to say, you know what, I heard this or I thought this or this is what I believe and be able to humbly and helpfully be in this class together so that we might settle on what is sound words. Amen? All right? That's one of the reasons why you have a local church, to help keep you in sound words, not to be straying off because of somebody that you heard on the internet. And that's one of my big fears about technology, is I love technology. I love the access. I just told you, if you want to study the Bible, you can just look it up on a, on a Bible website and find a verse or find a doctrine, find a teaching, and find all sorts of other verses that teach exactly the same thing. That's wonderful. But there are also great dangers with the internet as well. You might hear some preacher that sounds really good, and I've heard this before too, where somebody recommended somebody to me, and I heard a message, and I thought, wow, that's really good. I got to say, I really agree with this guy. Everything that he said in that message, I wholly support. And then I would begin to listen to this uh, individual. And then after a couple of sermons, I, I would feel like, you know what, something feels a little bit off. And then after a while, he finally actually says it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's why. All right. He has a belief that's wrong about salvation, about eternal security, about, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, grace and faith and works and all of these things. And, and uh, sometimes you don't get that right away. Well, one thing that helps keep you on, into sound doctrine is your local church. Is your local church, when you hear something and you talk to someone, let me encourage you, be a part of a local church. Amen? Be a part of a local church where you meet people and you can ask somebody like your pastor, like a life connection leader, maybe just a mentor or even a friend, and just say, hey, you know what? I heard somebody and they said this. Is this right? I mean, it doesn't sound right, or maybe it does sound right, but I just never heard it before. Your church is a place to keep you in sound words, in sound words. So we see that Paul was faithfully committing these things to Timothy, and he was fruitfully conclusive. In verse number 13, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Sound words have fruit. Every belief and every doctrine has a certain kind of fruit. And what Paul is saying here is saying sound words have loving, faithful words and fruits in your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your thoughts, your beliefs, produce fruit in your life. And what the Bible says is inspect the fruit. Inspect the fruit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2 says, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. See, what Paul is saying is all of these things that I've been doing, I've been doing publicly. You know me. You know my life. You saw me say it, you saw me do it. You saw me live it. You saw the fruit of those things. Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 puts it this way. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. 
Here is the example that Paul is giving. He's saying, as you've observed my life, you can see that the teaching that I'm giving you is producing this kind of fruit. I had an example of this one time at a church uh, that, I was, uh, that I was at, and uh, we had a guest come by. We had somebody come to the church. They were going to do some, you know, presentation, and he had his family, and uh, so his wife and his kid, you know, were there, and, and they were singing and doing some different things, and, uh, you know, as he got up to speak and do all of these things, I could tell that the church was totally engaged. I mean, they were like, wow, this guy is great. Watching, listening, paying attention, responding. I mean, it was great. I could tell that everybody was really on board and following this guy. The problem was that I couldn't uh, go along. And the reason is because earlier... Not during the church service, but earlier when they had first come and all of these things, I saw this individual interact with his child separately. Not in front of everybody, just him and his child. Maybe thought it was just you know, them. They didn't know that I saw or whatever. But I saw something that made me think, uh, this, this individual, he might put on a good show, but in his heart, there's something not right. There's either some pride or some arrogance, not treating his child in a loving, kind, gentle manner. And I thought, oh, there's, there's something not right here. And immediately I felt like I don't want to follow this individual because I see some of the fruit in his heart coming out in his attitude, coming out. Now, when he got up and he spoke, wow, everybody was impressed. Everybody's like, wow, he's so charismatic. Wow, he's so good. Wow, he's such a good speaker and talented. All of those things. But I had seen the fruit. And that fruit made me think, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be there. Now, here's the danger of following only online programs. The danger is you don't know them. You don't know them. You couldn't possibly know them. You've never met them. You've never talked to their kids. You've never seen them when maybe they had a bad moment. Oh, when, you're, when they're up on the platform, it's all smiles, and it's all energy, and it's all, all right, we're going to follow the Lord. But sometimes when they step off the platform, totally different. Totally different. We've got to be careful. Now, I'm not saying that everybody on the Internet is bad. I'm not saying everybody on the Internet is disingenuous. I'm on the internet. <laughs> I hope that I'm being genuine. So I'm not saying that. But the point is, if you don't go to this church, you don't really know me. You don't really know who I am. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know how I interact with them. When things aren't going well, maybe you don't know how, how, how I respond. How many of us have been surprised by somebody that we, we know about in the, uh, you know, uh, because they're, they're famous for whatever reason. They're wealthy, uh, they're an actor or a singer or a politician or whatever. How many of us have been surprised when out of the blue you hear about divorce? Whoa, what? I thought, you know, every time they seem so nice and they seem to really get along and they kind of joke with each other. It seems so great. And then divorce. What happened? Oh, what happened was you didn't really know them. Of course, you couldn't really know them. They're, they live their own lives and, and, and you have no interaction with them. That's the danger. The danger is that we don't know them. And what Paul is saying is, you know me. You saw me. 
You saw me when I got persecuted. You saw me when I got thrown into prison. You saw me when I was beaten. You saw how I responded. You saw my spirit. You saw how I was forgiving. You saw how I was patient. You saw how I was persistent. You saw all of these things and you saw the fruit. Because you've seen the fruit, stick with the sound words. Stick with these words that you've seen in me. And the things that we've seen in recent days, there's a lot of fads in Christianity today. A lot of movements. But let me warn you that we have not yet seen the full fruit of it yet. It takes time sometimes for fruit to fully appear. Fruit doesn't always appear in year number one. It doesn't always appear in year number two. It doesn't always appear in year number five. Sometimes it takes 10 years. Sometimes it takes 20 years. Sometimes it takes 30 years. And sometimes I see even friends of mine in ministry and they take one step in a direction and I think, oh, you know what? I don't think that's a good move. You know what? I, I don't know where this whole thing is going to end up, but we haven't seen the full fruit of it. You know about Jesus. He gave the parable of the sower and the seed. You know, the sower and the seed, there's, you know, a, a good soil that produced great fruit. There was thorny soil. There was that, you know, wayside soil where it was packed down and the seed couldn't even get in. Well, there was another type of soil, the second soil, which was called stony soil. Stony soil is shallow. On the surface, there is soil right underneath that are rocks all over the place. And what that does, as Jesus described, was... As the seed would get in and the water would come, the, the plant would try to grow. But because there is no space for the roots, all of the resources go where? They go up. They go up into the, in, into the fruit or into the, into the leaves and into the branches. Well, you see, initially, whoa, look at this. It's growing. Isn't growth exciting? I want our church to grow. I want it to do well. And when you see another ministry and they're just growing and you think, whoa, Maybe we're doing the wrong thing here. Maybe we should do what they're doing over there. Well, what happened was, as Jesus made it very plainly and clearly, when the sun came out and the heat of the day came out, guess what? It withered because it didn't have a root. And there are a lot of philosophies that will grow really quickly, but if you follow it all the way through, you'll find that in the end it will wither. So we want to be in good doctrine. Let me give you another illustration about Bible translations. About Bible translations. We use the King James Bible here. Okay? Now, you may wonder, why do we use the King James Bible? All right? I've gotten that question so many times. Why do you use the King James Bible? Why do you use this translation? It's so old. It's so, it's hard to read. And I, I, every excuse that you could possibly think of, I've heard all of them. Okay. Now people wonder, why don't you use another translation? And I'm not going to go into this whole rabbit trail, but I just want to give you something that I read, not in a Christian article, but in a secular, very liberal magazine about modern day Bible translations. Okay. Now, I was not really that familiar with this, but I think it would help you to understand when it comes to Bible translations, one of the reasons why, it's not the main reason, but one of the reasons why we stick with the King James. So it's talking about initially the NIV. So the NIV is the number one Bible translation sold today, all right? The King James is second, NIV is the number one Bible translation that is sold today. And 
for those of you that maybe are not familiar with Bible translation, you might just think, oh, the NIV is the NIV. I'm going to pick up the NIV and I'm going to read the NIV. Did you know that there are more than one version of the NIV? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Did you know that they tried to remove all of the gendered pronouns in the NIV? Male and female pronouns to neutral? So we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They tried to change that to God the parent, God the child, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Did you know that they tried it and somebody called them out on it and they backtracked? And then did you know that in 2011, they put it in without telling anybody? Did you know that? I didn't get this from a Christian article. I got this from a secular article that said, and the, the reason why they talked about all of this is because we believe as Christians that male and female created he them. Amen? Amen. The reason why it came up in the article is they said, hey, these Christians are being hypocritical. They say he and she, but their own Bible translations are removing them. Don't you think that's a problem? Isn't that a problem? Now, if you didn't know that, and I didn't know that, I don't really keep up with all of the new, there's like a new translation every year, and then they update all of that. I, I, I'm not keeping up with all of that. I have the Bible, amen? amen? All right, so that's where I'm sticking with. Not just the NIV. Did you know the ESV is also doing the same thing? The ESV is doing exactly the same thing. Now, you might think, oh, the NIV came out, we got this new translation. The ESV came out, we got this new translation. How about let's wait until the full fruit appears before we jump on a bandwagon? How about we do that? How about we see where does this whole new translation thing go before we jump ship? See, I, I've got a Bible that I trust. Amen? I've got a Bible that I know that has stood the test of time. These other translations, I'm not so sure. And when I look at them and I read about, oh, the NIV is doing this, the ESV is doing that, it makes me think, hey, these people that jumped on this bandwagon too early, you made a mistake. You made a mistake. And then what are you going to do? Oh, I hold to the old ESV, and then I got the new ESV, and then whatever. And uh, let, let, Let's just stick with the Bible that we know has sound words, true words, words that we could depend upon. I think that's important. And then we see that Paul fully committed these things to Timothy, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And there's a, a number of verses, uh, for sake of time, we'll, I'll just give you these verses. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, uh, he writes to Timothy, keep that which was committed to thy trust, and he writes with some professing have erred concerning the faith. And he writes in Jude, verse number three, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Acts chapter 14, verse number 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. So what God has given to us is sound words that we study. We make sure that they are sound we make sure that we know where they're coming from, we know the fruit of it, and we're fully committed to it. we got to keep that which is sound if we're going to be able to face perilous times. The second thing that we need to keep is keep trusting the Holy Spirit. Keep trusting the Holy Spirit. Because there is power in the Holy Spirit. Keep that good thing which was committed unto thee. Keep by the Holy Ghost. It's a wonderful thing to know that I don't have to keep it in my own power. That which is kept is not kept by me, 
It is kept by the Holy Ghost. So we need to make sure that we are not trusting in ourselves. We are trusting in the Lord to keep those things. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We want all of these things. All of those things come through the Holy Ghost, and God is guaranteed to us the presence of the Holy Spirit, which, this is verse 14, which dwelleth in us. Sometimes people are looking for a new thing, but what Paul is saying, stick with the sound words that are kept by the Holy Ghost, which you already have. See, we as Christians don't need to look for new things. Amen. We don't need new philosophies. We don't need new doctrine. We just need to do what God has done through the years and brought the churches that grew, that spread the gospel, and here we are today. It's the same thing, all right? We also see the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder why you have the Holy Spirit? Why does the Holy Spirit dwell in me? Well, that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could hold on to these things. So we need to make sure that we're holding on to sound words. Let's make sure we know if this is not questionable doctrine. This is established doctrine that is 100% sure and guaranteed. We can study it out. We compare it. We bring it to the church. We might ask somebody, uh, you know, a Life Connection teacher, let me ask you to be wise in, in who you ask and, and make sure that you're asking people who will not just answer the question. Yeah, 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 of course. You know, I think you're right. You'll, you'll find somebody who knows the Bible or will at least study the Bible and say, you know what, I, that's not something I've heard before. I'll have to study it out and then let me get back to you. That would be better than somebody just says, well, I guess that's what it says. Well, let's study things out. And we've, we've been given the church in order to help us to keep accountable. Thirdly, if we're going to face perilous times, we're going to stand strong and have victory. We've got to keep some things. We've got to keep trusting the Spirit. We've got to keep uh, holding on to sound words. Thirdly, and lastly, we need to keep teammates that are solid. Keep teammates that are solid. This thou knowest, verse 15, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord gave mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me. One of the best ways to stay faithful is to be with faithful people. Be with faithful people, and more likely than not, you will be faithful as well. It's not a guarantee, of course, but it's helpful because your friends influence you and you influence your friends. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, make sure that you encourage and stick with those that have been supportive and refreshing, refreshingly supportive teammates to me. And he has this comparison in verse number 15 and verse number 16. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. He just says, all of those that are in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey, all of these individuals have turned away. But then he names two individuals, Phygelus and Hermogenes, and then he names another individual, Onesiphorus. Well, uh, I don't always do this, but it's interesting because uh, names mean things in the Bible, right? And we know this because God would change people's names, and that's how we would know, ah, something happened, something important just happened. 
Sometimes I don't always look into uh, the, the meanings of words, but sometimes it can be helpful because if you know what the word means, you'll know kind of a little bit about them or you'll know kind of where the word comes from. An obvious word or name is the name Christian, all right? If you hear the name Christian, it's not just a name. You know, ah, I know what that name means. Hey, there's a word Christ in the name. So the name means like a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ, all right? That's what Christian means, or maybe Christina, all right? You've heard the name Skylar before. The word Skylar comes from the name of the word, I think it's a Swedish word, scholar. So scholar turns, is Skylar, and so Skylar means scholar. If you knew that, you'd be like, oh, I know what that word means. I know what the name means. Well, in the Bible, of course, in the New Testament, these are Greek names, right? Our English has a lot of its roots in Greek. And if you knew Greek words, you would see, ah, I think I know what this name means because you would identify certain Greek roots. So the first name is the word phygelos or phugelos. Uh, comes from the word fugo, which means flight or to run away. It's the word we get our word fugitive from, all right? So when you see the word phygelos, you see the common root of fugitive. So what is Paul saying about this individual or what does his name indicate about his character? He's one who would run away. All right. The second individual is Hermogenes. The word Hermogenes comes from the word Hermes. There's a brand out there, right? Some of you might have something from there. All right. Hermes. I don't even know if that's how it's pronounced, but Hermes is a Greek god and Hermes was the herald of the gods. He is the messenger and the emissary of the Greek gods. That's Hermes. And so you see Hermogenes. So you have Phygelus and you have Hermogenes. And what Paul is saying is these are not encouraging people. These are not people that have helped me. So we can learn a few things. All right, what is not helpful for your Christian walk? Somebody who runs away when they are needed. All right. Somebody who's not there showing up, encouraging you in the word when you need the word of God most. In difficult times, you need somebody to show up, to encourage you out of God's word, and to be there for you. That will encourage you. When you've got something big and they don't show up, that's discouraging, all right? Hermogenes, if we're going to take his name, somebody who whenever you want to talk about the Lord, always change the subject to talk about something worldly. Or to say, oh, this is what the world's doing, and this is what Satan's trying to do, and uh, in opposition. The word Onesiphorus, on the other hand, means prophet bearer. So if you want to compare these individuals, here's a one group of people that always runs away, never shows up when you need them, and you have another individual who is oft refreshing Paul. You know what is about Onesiphorus, I think, that we can learn? When Paul needed him, he showed up. When Paul needed him, he was there. He was in, in, in his presence. He would go find him. We see that he would go search for him. In verse 15, that, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then he jumps in verse number 17. But when he was in Rome, when Onesiphorus was in Rome, he saw me out very diligently and he found me. He was purposeful in coming to find Paul. He sought me out very diligently. It's nice when you're able to go up to somebody to get some help. It's even nicer when they come to you. 
this last year, a lot of people jumped onto the Amazon bandwagon and you know, they're on that train now, right? It's, it's fine when you go out to the store, you go buy something, you stand in line, you do all the things and you drive back home. But sometimes it's nicer when it just shows up at your door, isn't it? Right? Isn't it nicer? You don't have to go out into the crowds. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to sit through traffic. You don't have to pick the line and then the person in front of you doesn't have a barcode. Hey, can I get a price check on whatever? And you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta wait in line. I should have picked that line, right? We always do that, right? I should have picked that line. All right, and you got you know, all of these things and then you, know, you, you stick your chip in and then it doesn't work or whatever. You know, it's, it's just a hassle sometimes. Sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's a hassle. Sometimes it's just nice when you can just open up your phone Click, 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 and two days later it shows up at your door. Isn't that nice? It's nice. Some of you are trying to deny it like it's not nice. It is nice. It's very nice. Now, whether it's worth the money, I don't know, but it's very nice when it just shows up at your door. Paul is saying, oh, it was so nice when I didn't have to go hunt down and, and try to grab people and, hey, can you help me? It's nice. Onesiphorus came to me. Oh, that was so nice. Man, that was encouraging. That was refreshing. That was refreshing. He was purposeful in trying to find him. And it says he was diligently seeking him. I've had deliveries uh, that were supposed to be made, but sometimes you need a signature, right? You ever gotten something? For whatever reason, they sent it. Maybe it's a valuable. Maybe a relative was sending something, wanted to make sure that you got it. You got to have a signature, right? So sometimes though, the, the FedEx guy or whoever's delivering comes to your door, knocks, nobody's there, and they leave a little sticker on your door, right? They leave a little sticker and they say, all right, we tried to make a delivery, you were not here, you need a signature, we'll come back tomorrow. So you're like, okay, and then for whatever reason, you miss. And you're not there at the same time, or maybe he knocked and you couldn't hear. Then they might come a third time. Then you know what they say? Last chance. I'm not coming again. <laughs> I'm not coming back here anymore. You want your package? You come and get it, all right? That's, that's, the, that's the way, okay? And that might be reasonable, but you know what Paul was saying about, you know, here are people who are refreshing. You know who people are refreshing? They come the first time, and if it doesn't work out, they come the second time. If they come the second time and they can't meet up, they try the third time. They try the third time, and it doesn't. They try the fourth time. They don't give up. What a wonderful, refreshing friend that Paul had. He knew Onesiphorus. He didn't have to go hunt for him or worry about what he was doing. He was going to come to him. Thirdly and lastly, about these refreshing teammates, we see that he was readily serving. In verse number eight, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. The attitude of this Christian was, Paul, whatever you need, I'll be there. Wouldn't that be an encouragement if you had a friend like that? It doesn't matter what you need, whatever you need, I'll be there. Isn't that encouraging? You know what Paul said? I've got an encouraging friend. Because it didn't seem to matter what I needed. He was always there serving, ready to be helpful, ready to be refreshing to me. And if we're going to face perilous times, it's going to get dark. It's going to get hot. The battle is going to be difficult. You know what's really nice on a hot day? Opening up your fridge, 
you know, pull out something cool. You know what we need as Christians? We need to be able to have something refreshing, somebody who will refresh us. You know why we have a local church? So you can find some refreshing teammates that will help you and encourage you. That's why we have life connection classes. Not just so that you could come and hear the word of God and sing. Uh, That's wonderful, and that's a big part of what it means to be a Christian, to worship God. But you know what our life connection classes do? It helps connect you with people that can refresh you. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I remember last week you mentioned this and you said something about your workplace. Just want to see how you doing. Or maybe you mentioned something about work and, you know, or you got some, you know, procedure that you got to have done on Wednesday or Thursday. And then that person texts you and says, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. That's encouraging. That's a big part of a local church. And if we're going to face the perilous times, we've got to be with other Christians that will be sound in doctrine, that will be trusting in the Holy Spirit, that will be there for us, and will be for them to help us to make it through these perilous times.